thankful are you all for our worship team. Let's give them a hand. They do an excellent job. Well, they are a blessing in leading us in worship Sunday after Sunday. I'm thankful for them. A while back, uh, I was given a book written by George Barna. And it was entitled, uh, it's entitled Revolution. And those of you all not familiar with Barna, he is a Christian stats guy. And uh, he and his group have reported a lot of helpful stats about uh, statistics dealing with the state of things in the church and with non-believers in, in the world. And again, like I said, for the most part, uh, they have been, their findings have been very helpful to pastors and church leaders like myself. And in this book, Revolution, what Barna does is he reports on a group of believers he has studied that he calls revolutionaries. And he explains that this group's main focus is just on me and God, me and my relationship with God. And they really don't view the church, the local church, as necessary at all. And we know people like this, don't we? We do. People who just believe that the church is, is not really an essential part of the Christian life. So what they do is they, they stay at home for the most part. They have church at their house. They may watch church on TV, maybe send a check in to a televangelist or something like that and say, we've, you know, we've had church. We've done our part. And like I said, this, this book... Um, th this book is real helpful because of the fact that, that it explains the, the mentality of these revolutionaries. But I take issue with this book because of the fact that Barna's prescription is worse than his diagnosis. Here's what Barna says in the book after reporting these findings. He says this is just kind of the way things are headed. So we just need to embrace it. We just need to accept the fact that people are, are trying to be the church beyond the church walls. There's a major issue I have with this prescription. It's just not biblical. It's not. And, and we should know by now, and if you don't, you will, after, after we're finished with this series in a few weeks... But uh, over the past two weeks, what we've been discussing is the vital role that the church plays when it comes to our growth and godliness. This morning, we're continuing our series entitled, We Are Fellowship. And you'll remember from a few weeks ago that I shared with you that the mission for all churches and for all believers given by Christ is that we're to be making disciples. And remember, that's just what our mission statement says, doesn't it? Uh, in case you have forgotten or are not familiar with our mission statement, let's look at it again up on the screen. Read along with me. It says, Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you whether or not we are doing that aloud or to yourself. We'll do it aloud next week. How about that? Some of y'all were with me. All right. 
and I may have read it a little too fast, but this is our mission statement. Our mission statement, in our mission statement, we are all about making disciples. And I made the argument a few weeks ago, I think this is what we're to be about as a whole. All churches are to be about this because this is the great assignment that Christ left us during his post-resurrection ministry. And what we've been discussing so far is that the church, this church, is where disciples are made. This church is to be the place where escorting and establishing and equipping happens. The church is the place where you to come to know Christ and grow in that knowledge of Him. The church is the place where you are to come and get equipped to use the gifts that God has given you for the purpose of ministry. The church is very, very important. Congregational life is very, very important because it is to be the means by which we mature as followers of Christ. Now here's the issue. The issue is understanding that we need the church. Let's be honest, this is a very difficult concept for us, right? The reason why is because we're Americans. I mean, we've been taught from a young age to be independent. We're taught, often taught, if you want something done right, what? Do it yourself. That's exactly right. And this has spilled over into our Christian life, hasn't it? And as a result of this mentality, we often fail to value the church and to value relationships with other believers as we should. Oftentimes people think, you know, my Christian life, it's all about me and God, me and my Bible. That's it. I don't need a pastor Sunday after Sunday telling me or teaching me Bible, and I don't need the church and God's people to get me to where I need to be spiritually. Once again, that mentality plays in. You want something done right spiritually? What? Do it yourself. Yeah, that's what many people think. Now listen closely when I say this. This is a problem. And the reason why is because what we discover when we read God's Word is that one of the key ways for us to grow in Christ, one of the key ways for us to mature in our faith is through valuing relationships and connecting with God's people, His church. In fact, what we learn is that this morning, what we're going to learn when we look at this text and others like it, is if we want to grow in Christ, it won't come unless we do that. That's why we at Fellowship are all about connecting. We at Fellowship are all about fellowship. Imagine that. My goal this morning is to further prove to you this point, to make the argument for God's, from God's Word that for us... To grow in Christ as believers, we need to value healthy relationships and we need to value connecting with God's people. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22 this morning. In this passage, Paul describes the people of God in three 
ways. And we're going to look at these three descriptions because I believe that understanding these descriptions about God's people from this passage of Scripture, it will help us if we truly understand it and embrace it and apply it. It will help us to better understand the importance of connecting with God's people. Okay, Here's the first description that Paul gives from this passage of Scripture. Number one, we as believers are equal citizens of God's kingdom. We are equal citizens of God's kingdom. Let's begin by looking at verse 19. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, that phrase, so then, also translated consequently, reminds us of something here. We've just jumped into a book and in the middle of a passage of Scripture, in the middle of a chapter of Scripture. So when we do that, it's always important for us to ask the question, what's going on here? What's the so then all about? What's the context? Well, Paul here is addressing an issue at Ephesus, and here's the issue. There are two groups of people at Ephesus. There are the Jewish Christians, and there are the Gentile Christians. And there is tension between these two groups of people. Now, I know that's kind of foreign to us, the fact that there's tension between people in the church. No, you know, I'm being sarcastic. Of course there is. Can't go anywhere and not witness tension at at some level in the church. And, And this church is no exception. There is tension here between the Jewish and Gentile Christians. And the issue is this. The Gentiles at Ephesus are being made to feel as if they're second rate. They're being made to feel as if they are second tier Christians. The Jewish people, they they believed, the Jewish Christians believed and, and, and made the Gentiles feel as if they were, you know, up here and, and the Gentiles are kind of more down here. They were still in the, in the mix with God's people, but they were kind of second tier or second rate. And Paul comes in and says, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. There aren't two different groups. There aren't Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and one is more important than the other. Paul says, no. The two have been brought together, and the two groups are now one. Look at verse 14, back in verse 14 of Ephesians 2. Look what Paul says. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both, talking here both about Jews and Gentiles, he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And this, in Ephesians, is not the only time Paul mentions this, is it? No, in in Galatians, he says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no difference. Paul is saying here, there are no divisions in Christianity. The two groups have become one. There aren't Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There are just Christians. That's Paul's point. Let's look at verse 19 again. Paul says, So then... Because you, who were once who were once two, are now one, because there is no longer this division between you, because this is the case, you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, you are no longer outsiders. Now, the word strangers and aliens there can be used to describe 
uh, people who live in another country, foreigners who don't have the rights of citizens. How many of y'all have ever traveled outside the U.S.? Just raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Well, you know when you go beyond our nation's borders that you're an outsider, don't you? I mean, I'm reminded of this each time I go to Nicaragua. Now, it's not their fault. They're very nice, and they're, they're very welcoming, but I'm, I'm still an outsider. I mean, when I go, I don't know my way around. I'm not a citizen, so I couldn't stay there. Um, I couldn't vote. I'm referred to as a gringo or an American. The currency is different. There's a different culture. There's different customs, different languages. I mean, I'm, I'm an outsider. I'm on the outs culturally and linguistically. Uh, just to tell you a funny story about what happened to my friend Chris, who's the pastor at Fellowship in Fort Smith. The first trip we were there, it was the last day. And everybody sang their goodbyes and everything. It's a real emotional time. And all week long, the, the Nikas, that's what, that's what they're, they, they call themselves, the Nikas, when they would hear something they really liked, they would say, Amen, you know, and then they'd say, Glory to God in Spanish. Well, y'all can help me out with that. But um, they would do this all week long, very energetic. So at the last day, Chris is sitting there, and this pastor's talking to him, and he's really energetic, speaking in Spanish, and he's kind of pointing up in the sky, you know, and Chris is like, yeah, you know, amen, amen, glory to God. And one of the translators was walking by and overheard the conversation. He said, hey, hey, he's just telling you to have a safe flight home. <laughs> so he, he over-spiritualized it just a bit. But those types of things, they, they reminded us that we're outsiders. We're on the outs, culturally and linguistically. And here's what Paul's saying here. He said, at one time you were separated in this way as Jews and Gentiles, but no longer. You have now been brought together. You are now one. There is no such thing as second-tier Christians. The Gentiles aren't foreigners and aliens. You're both equally God's people. Maybe some of you here who feel that way at times. Maybe you feel like an outsider because you weren't raised in a Christian home. Or you're not as knowledgeable about the Bible as the next person. Maybe it's because you've gotten away from the Lord for a while and you never, feel, you never really have felt as if you've, you've gotten back and plugged in and connected with God and His church. I want to encourage you this morning with these words. If you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Same as me, same as everyone else. Don't let that feeling that you're second rate or that you're second tier in comparison to someone else, don't let that mindset prevent you from going on and pursuing godliness and being all that God has called you to be and for growing and maturing in Christ. So negatively, Paul says here, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, and he continues here with the positive word. Look at what he says. He says, but you are fellow citizens. In other words, you have full citizenship. You are equal citizens of God's kingdom. And get this, this is so key. When we realize this, that we are equal citizens of God's kingdom as believers, and when we live as such, when we receive this truth and apply it, you know what happens when we do this? 
the church begins to reflect the reality of the gospel. Let me explain what I mean here. God's church has the potential to be a powerful illustration of the gospel. You ever looked at the church? I mean, there are people who attend church from all different walks of life, aren't there? There are. Church is made up of both male and female, young and old, people with different styles, different tastes, different races, different cultures, rich and poor. All of these different people who have gathered together that you would never expect to be in the same room together are. Now, what's the common bond that brings this diverse group of people together? Sunday school answer is not the Bible. Jesus, right? It's Christ. In Christ, we who are diverse become one body. In Christ, we become equal citizens of God's kingdom. The the church is made up of a group of unlikely people who have been called out by God, people you would never expect to be friends, people who even maybe at one time have been enemies. It's people with nothing in common but Christ. And the gospel brings them together like nothing else could. It's amazing. It's Christ in his gospel that causes the dividing walls to come down. It's in Christ that we can come together. It's in Christ that we can become one, that we can love one another no matter our differences. And when we do this, we demonstrate the reality and the power of the gospel. Get this. One of the surest ways to ruin our witness in the world is to neglect one another. It is. Or to only be loving and friendly toward those who are like you. Christ has torn down the barriers. He has placed us all as believers into one kingdom. And people are able to see that God is love and that Christ is Lord when they see the church living in harmony with one another no matter what. So it's very important for us to realize that all believers are equal citizens of God's kingdom. The second description that Paul uses of the church is that we are all equal members of God's family. As if being a citizen of God were not enough in his kingdom. I mean, let's be honest, that's great in and of itself, isn't it? But get this, God's work in Christ, it draws us even closer than that. Through Christ, we're made members of God's household. Paul says, you are members of the household of God. In other words, you are family. As believers, you are family. Once again, Paul makes this point here to to explain to them there is no partiality. There is no favoritism, no division with God's people. Once again, at this time, the Gentiles kind of felt that way. They felt as if, yeah, we're, we're at the table, you know, we're in the family. But the Jewish people are the favored children. They still sort of felt like 
outsiders even though they were in the family of God. Paul says, no, because of your faith in Christ, you are all, without exception, treated the same. You are all equal members of God's family. You are viewed by God in the same way. And because this is the case, Paul goes on later in Ephesians to say, because this is the case, you need to act the way God expects members of his family to act. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4.1. Flip over to Ephesians 4.1 quickly. Look what Paul says here. Therefore, because of all the things that God has done for you, that's what, Paul, that's what the therefore is. Because of all of these things, I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In other words, because you're equal citizens of God's kingdom, act like equal citizens of God's kingdom. Because you're equal members of, of God's family, act like the child of God needs to act. That's what Paul's saying. Right now, Ava and Edie are at the age where they're learning to play together. And uh, they do pretty well for the most part. But every now and again, I'll hear a crash. And I'll hear crying or screaming. And I'll have to run in there and kind of see what's going on and separate them. And they have their spats. And though at times we allow them to, to play by themselves, and though at times we kind of separate them when they're getting at one another, we never come in and say, all right, that's it. You girls are never playing together again. You're just going to remain separate. You know why? Because we want them to learn to work it out. We're teaching them you are both equally a part of this family. And you have to learn to live together as sisters. Guess what? That's what our Father wants. He wants us to learn to live together as His children, as believers. To live with our differences. To live together, not in isolation with just Him, but with Him and with one another. That's what God wants. We have issues with people in the church, and believe me, you will, if you haven't already. God doesn't want us to just part ways and say, you know what, I'm just going to be the church in my home. I'm just going to watch a service on TV, and I'm going to hear God's word without having to deal with God's people. God says, no, I want you to deal with my people. He wants us to live in relationship with one another. If God has called you out, and has brought you into his family. He expects you to live in relationship with his family. He wants you to value his family. He wants you to love his family. He wants you to get and remain connected to his family. Number three. The third description that Paul uses about the church is that as believers, we are equal parts of God's building. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here, Paul describes God's people as a building. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? God's people, we are a building. So in this passage, Paul has referred to us as equal citizens of God's kingdom, equal members of his family, and equal parts of his building. 
And notice he says here in the text that the foundation of this building are the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ. Now, what is Paul giving us this metaphor for? Why is he describing us in this way? What he's telling us is this. God is building a community of people. That's what he's up to. And the apostles and the prophets, they play a pivotal role in that they are the foundation of this building. Now, I think that this text right here makes a good argument for the fact that we don't still have apostles and prophets like we do today as they existed back then because Paul refers to them as the foundation. They played a pivotal role in the beginning in providing the foundation for God's building. Now, I know it's a metaphor. We don't want to push those details too far to make a point, but I I think this gives us a strong argument for that. The apostles and the prophets, they are the foundation of God's building. Now, what have they done? Question is, what, what haven't they done, right? They gave us written revelation from God of Christ in the New Testament, and they have also taken this message of who Jesus is and what he's done out into the world. And they have made Christ known where he is not known. And because of their faithfulness and because of their commitment, God has used that to bless us, right? Because they were faithful, we have the gospel brought to us. So they're the foundation. Paul goes on to say, Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, The way we think of a cornerstone today is a bit different than the way they thought about it in the first century. Uh, I think we normally, when we think of a cornerstone, we think of something that's more kind of symbolic and decorative in nature, right? It's got a name plate on it of, or, or etched in is, is the name of the building and when the building was established, when it was built. But that's not what Paul meant here. That's not the way they viewed a cornerstone in the first century. In the first century, a cornerstone was the very first stone that was laid, and it was the standard by which all other stones are measured. Boy, that brings the description to light, doesn't it? It's exactly what Christ is. He's the first, and he's the one by which we are all measured. That's what Jesus is for us. This is another reminder to us of the fact that we exist as a church because of who Jesus is. If it were not for Jesus, we wouldn't be here, and and we wouldn't really need to be here. We wouldn't have any purpose for being here if it weren't for the person and work of Christ. Look at verse 21 again. Paul says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This verse explains here, what our role is as believers in assembling God's building. What we're to be doing as a church is we're to be coming behind Christ, who is the cornerstone, and the prophets and the apostles who laid the foundation. And what we're to be doing is working to build up and complete this structure, to build God's holy temple. That's our role. We're to become the holy temple. It's not speaking you singularly. We often say you are a temple, meaning you singular. It's plural in the scriptures. You, as a church, are a temple, holy temple. But that's our role. That's what we're to be doing as a church. That, That phrase, joined together, gives us a picture of bricks being laid. Now, in our day, 
It's a lot easier to lay bricks than it was in their day. Once again, knowing the context of Scripture is very helpful here to get Paul's point. In the first century, joining together and putting together a, a structure was a much more difficult, much more rigorous process. What they had to do was they had to take stones and they had to chip away at the stones and smooth them out so that they could be joined together. Paul's saying that's what's to be going on in our life as believers, as we join together with God's church. We're to be letting God take us with our rough edges and chipping away at us and molding us and smoothing us out so that we can be fit together, so that we can be joined together with God's people as his church. It's not always an easy process, is it? Times we have conflict, we have difficulty in this whole chipping away and smoothing out to join together, but it's a necessary process that needs to take place in every one of our lives. I love the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. Now, many miss the main point of this parable. Uh, you know, they often just say it's about helping others who are in need, and that's a part of it. But you've got to look at what question was asked that prompted Jesus to tell the parable. Remember, there's a Jewish lawyer there who says, Jesus, who's our neighbor? Now, they've been talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And this was a Jewish man. And back in that time, the Jewish people, they had hangups with, with particular groups of people. The Samaritans being one of those. And so what this man is asking when he asks who's my neighbor is, do I have to love everybody? Do I have to be neighborly toward everyone? And Jesus sees right between what he's saying. He reads between the lines, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus' point in this story is saying that we are to love, loving one's neighbor means we are to be willing to care for, show compassion toward, and, and live in relationship with those who we consider to be our enemies and who others consider to be our enemies. That's, that's Jesus' point. Now, what is Jesus doing here by telling this story? He's chipping away. He's beginning to chip away and smooth out the people who are listening, his, his listeners, his followers, so that they will be joined together with one another in him. And that's what God's doing through Paul in the book of Ephesians. And you know what? That's what God wants from us as well. It's what he wants. When I hear about people who are not plugged into the church because they had bad experiences in the past with God's people and they just refuse to associate with the church, you know what that's telling me from this text of Scripture? It's telling me they're unwilling to allow this process to take place. They're unwilling to allow themselves, allow God to chip away at them, to mold them and to make them into who he wants them to be so that they will be joined together with God's church. We need to allow ourselves to do this. We don't need to just cut and run when the going gets tough or when people get difficult, but look at it as an opportunity for God to use that to make us more like his son. It's what God wants. So God is building up a building. He is chipping away. He is smoothing out his people so that they'll be joined together. For what reason? For what purpose? Look at verse 22. 
in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being chipped away at. We are being smoothed out. We are being joined together so that we will become a holy place set apart and set for God so that God's presence is felt in a special and unique way. God is building up this building. He wants to build up this building. You and me, he wants to build up our church so that we will become like he says, like he says here in verse 22, a holy dwelling place where God's presence is felt. Don't you want that for our church? To be a holy dwelling place where people come in and go, there's something different here. Well, I can sense something. They can sense the presence of God. Wow. That's something to strive for. So I hope you see here this morning how important it is to connect and live in relationship with God's people. And I want you to know, this is not just an emphasis in the book of Ephesians, is it? In your connect cards, in your uh, bulletin, you'll find one of the challenges that I give for you this week is just to take a little bit of time, go through the New Testament, and look how often the phrase one another is used. What you're going to find is this phrase is used multiple times in almost every book in the New Testament. Once again, to prove to us that our Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation. Get this. How can we be obedient to God? By loving one another, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, exhorting one another, showing hospitality to one another, praying for one another, not speaking evil against one another. How can we do these things, which Scripture clearly tells us we're to be doing if we don't associate with one another? It's pretty practical, isn't it? We can't. The Bible puts a major emphasis on us connecting with believers and living in relationship with one another. This is not optional for us. This is essential for us to do. To be the place God wants this place to be and to be the people God wants us to be. So I want to urge you this morning. <clears throat> Maybe it's your first time to visit here and you're or, or first few times to visit here and you really want to get connected here, I want to encourage you to do so. Beyond this Sunday morning, Sunday morning is vitally important. We talked about that last week. But beyond that, we need to be connecting with one another. We need to be living in relationship with God's people. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been coming uh, to, to worship for, for a time now. You're committed to coming here on Sunday morning. I want to encourage you to continue to do that, but I also want to encourage you to take it a step further and get connected here at Fellowship. We have many ways for you to do that. In your bulletin today, you'll notice there is a list of our small group ministries. They're also on our webpage, uh, www.fellowshipfortsmith. Uh, I'm... When am I going to stop doing that? Fellowshipjacksonville.com. And uh, you can go on there and you can... Uh, no, you don't have to plug into them all. It's not what we're asking. But, but preferably one of them. And we also have a men's Bible study that meets on Monday nights and on Tuesday mornings. We also have a women's group meeting on Tuesday nights, right? Yes, Sean, I knew you were out there. Yeah, 
So we want to encourage you to do that. Small groups are a great way for you to connect. You know why? Because when they gather together, they meet. Sometimes they have food, which is a good reason to go. But another reason why is because they meet together and they function as God's people outside the church walls. They function as this church, extensions of this church in the home. It's so important. They meet together. They pray together. They look at God's word together. They discuss things they're going through in life. They're the church outside these church walls. We want to encourage you to get plugged in in that way. Maybe you're here and uh, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'd like to plug in, but I'm kind of hesitant about just jumping in right away into a group of people that I don't know. Well, let me tell you this. If, if you're there, let me encourage you to get involved in our church fellowships. We, we provide several church fellowships, many church fellowships throughout the year, and it's a great way for you to come, and, and there's purpose behind it. We don't just have a potluck because it's a church thing to do. Now, there's purpose behind it. It's a great way for you to connect with God's people and move into deeper, meaningful relationships with one another. You're going to have an opportunity to do that today. Right after service today, we're going to have a lunch here on the grounds. And, and I want to encourage, if you, if, if you just don't have to get away, some of you, I understand, you just have to get away for, for some reason. But if you don't, I want to encourage you to stay here and, and connect with God's people and have lunch here and, and get to know one another better. We're going we're gonna to provide that opportunity here when we dismiss, okay? Please do not take connecting lightly. It's so important. It's a vital part of your growth in godliness. Let's pray.